Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Happy Sunday, church. How good is it to be in the house of the Lord today? It's raining outside, but I believe that it's going to be raining fire in this room this morning. I have the great privilege of wrapping up our series Paradox, where we have been going through the book of Mark, and we've been going through select chapters, verse by verse, and just really unpacking what, what God is trying to tell us through all of this, like verse, verse at a time, just really trying to understand the heart of God. Uh, the first week, we had Miles with um, the dance, which talked about the Trinity. Then the second week, we had uh, Pastor Prashan with the call. Then the third week, we had my amazing wife, Anna, with the power. And if you were here for that, I'm really sorry, but we do not preach the same. She is a pocket rocket that's just ready to go at all times. And I'm like a stick of dynamite with a really long fuse. It might take me a while, but I'll, I'll get, I promise I'll get there. And then uh, week four, we had, we had Miles with the turn. Then last week, Pastor Graham with the trap. And then this week, I will be doing the ransom. And I'll be going through a passage in chapter 10. And if you've, if you've read the book of Mark before, or if you know the book of Mark, you're probably thinking, hold on a second. We're finishing the series on Mark, but we're still six chapters to go. Why, why are we stopping halfway through? Because... There's a lot of main major themes in the book of Mark. And the one that we really wanted to unpack was the idea that you can split Mark up into the first half, which is talking about who Jesus is as king. And then the second half of Mark, which is the purpose of Jesus dying on earth. But another theme is the kingdom of God. And the first 10 chapters talking about is Jesus talking about the kingdom, unpacking it, what it looks like, who's going to be there, how we get there. But in the last six chapters is Jesus bringing the kingdom to earth, inaugurating his rule as king in this new kingdom. And next week, as Prashan was saying, we're starting a new series called On Earth As It Is In Heaven. And as you might have guessed it, we are talking about the kingdom, the kingdom that Jesus created and is brought down onto earth. And I'm really excited for that. And that's going to lead us right up to Easter. And it's going to be a great time. But as I said before, we are going through Mark 10, Mark 10 today. So please turn with me to Mark 10, verse 32. And they were on the road going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus was walking ahead of them. And they were amazed. And those who followed were afraid. And taking the twelve again, he began to tell them what was to happen, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And after three days, he will rise. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, Jesus actually nicknamed these two brothers the sons of thunder because they were fiery, hot-headed boys that just, they spoke and it was thunder. It wasn't always right, but it was thunder. And they came up to him and said, Teacher, 
We want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. And he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant us to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your glory. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you're asking for. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And they said to him, we are able. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those whom it has been prepared. And when the 10 heard it, they began to be indignant at James and John. I love that word, indignant. We don't really use it like today, but it's probably one of the best words in this passage, just indignant. I, I don't know. I love it. It's just it's great. So they, be, they were indignant at James and John, and Jesus called to them and said to them, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, but it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be a slave of all. And my, one of my favorite verses, let's say it together, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as what? Ransom, as a ransom for many. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I, I, we know you're here. We know you're in this room, but we pray that as I speak, all the words that I speak are of you. All the words are your words. And I pray your Holy Spirit descend on this place. Fall on us today. Fall on us fresh this morning. That as your words are coming out of my mouth, Holy Spirit, you reveal to us the greater truths that we can find in your word. And I pray all of this in your name. Amen. So as I said before, the book of Mark, it, it's talking about who Jesus is as king why he needs to go to the cross and like the kingdom of God. And in chapter 10, in this passage, we actually have all of these culminated into like one short interaction with the disciples. And it's, it's a bit of a doozy, but it starts with Jesus predicting his death or foretelling his death. And not for the first time, not for the second time, but for the third time. This is the third time, and this is just in the book of Mark, but the third time that Jesus has now foretold his death. But this one is a little bit different because the first time we find in Mark 8.31, Jesus is talking, talking and foretelling of his death, but his focus is on the Israelite rulers, the scribes and the priests, that they're going to reject Jesus and then he'll die. And then the second time, is Mark 9.31, where his focus is on the hands of men or the Gentiles. So the Gentile leaders, they're the ones that will kill Jesus. But then the third time, chapter 10, verse 33, says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death. And deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. What Jesus is saying here is it's not just the Gentiles that are going to be killing me, it's also you Israelites. You Israelites will also be killing me. 
But it's not only you, Israelites, that are going to reject me. It's also the Gentiles. It's because of everyone that I will be mocked, flogged, and spat on. And it's because of everyone that I'm going to die. Jesus does this a lot. He like, and it's all through the Bible as well. He will, he'll kind of like give little, little bits of information, kind of as like foundations, and then he kind of builds up to this, and then a cherry on top, which is just the fulfillment and the understanding of the revelation. So it's like we have, it's like a pyramid. We have all of the basis, and then he just builds up, and then he just drops a bomb. And he's like, oh, that's, that's what you're talking about. But it wasn't really so with the Sons of Thunder. There, so in, in our modern, modern Bibles, we have chapter numbers, verse numbers, and depending on your Bible, we have like little titles that tell us what the passage is about, which is great, but the original transcript was not like that. It was a narrative and just was written all through. So we can only assume in the same breath that Jesus told them that he was going to die, these sons of thunder came out of nowhere and demanded something of Jesus. They said, we want you to give us what we want. I don't know about you. That, that, that does not sound of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. It's not. It's just, you give us what we want. Please give us what we want. We want this. Give it to us. I don't know. But that's not really a way I like to start my prayers. So they just commanded Jesus to give them what they want. And what they wanted was to be on the left and the right in his glory. And that word glory is really important. We'll get back to that. But they're just demanding to be sitting on the left and the right because they were still thinking flesh. They were still thinking physical. They were still thinking of this world. They, they couldn't see the other things because they were still thinking of the world because they were listening. Here's the thing. They were listening. Jesus told them that he was going to be king and they, they knew that there was a king coming. So they're like, this Jesus, oh, this is great. He's going to be king. He's going to have this kingdom. And we want to sit on your left and your right, which basically means they wanted the second and third in command. They wanted the power and the authority that came with Jesus as king. And Jesus is like, you don't know what you're asking for. Like, you don't know what you're asking for. Can you, can you have this cup? Can you have this baptism? And what Jesus is saying, he's actually talking about suffering and death. That's what he's saying. Is that what you want? Is that what you want? And they said, yes, we can do that. That is perfectly fine because they were still thinking in the physical. They were still thinking that Jesus is going to rise to power and that will be the end of it. They didn't understand how this suffering and death is going to play into their mighty warlike kingdom. And then the disciples, the rest of the disciples got indignant they were like, they weren't just angry. They weren't just annoyed. They weren't just peeved. They were like, who do these brothers think they are? They have the right to ask. I didn't know we could ask. I wanted, like, they, weren't, they weren't indignant because James and John asked. They were indignant because they didn't ask. They wanted exactly the same thing. They wanted to be at the left and the right. But what's so funny, it actually says the other 10. So that includes Judas, the man that goes on to betray Jesus, who at this point is probably already in two minds. He's like, mm, I don't really know about this Jesus guy. However, if you're going to be king, yeah, I'd love to be your second in command. 
I'm going to betray you, but if you are king, bring me along. Bring me along for the ride. I love it. And I find that so ironic that they just have no idea what they're asking for but power and authority. And we can look at these disciples as dumb, oblivious to the obvious, but we are just the same. We are just the same as them when we're so focused on our theology that we, can't, we, don't, we don't allow Jesus to speak his real word, his greater truth into us. Or when we're so focused on something that we want and what we want is behind a closed door, but Jesus has an open door right next to us. But we're so focused, we just can't see what Jesus, what God is trying to give us, what God is trying to tell us. The disciples, they were listening they were fully listening, but they weren't comprehending. And we are the same. Like a couple of weeks ago, my wife, she wanted to cook this pasta. Like it was, an, it was a big thing. I don't, I'm not a great cook, but she had to cook a uh, ragu, I think is what it's called. I don't know. The chef's out there is like, I don't know. But it's a ragu, so we had to get prosciutto. And we're in the shops and Anna goes, can you please get 500 grams of prosciutto? Like, Done. I can do that. 500 grams of prosciutto. You're already laughing. You already know where this is going. And I'm like, done. So I'm pushing the pram with my son. We go over to the deli. And I'm like, can I please have 500 grams of prosciutto? The deli worker kind of looks at me like, okay, sure, why not? She starts slicing it. She's like, is this too big or is this thin? I'm like, I don't know. It's going to be cut up and put in a pasta. Just, it's fine. So she's slicing it. And I was like, oh, wait, I didn't see how much it was. So I'm looking. I'm like, oh. $50 a kilo. Okay, this is an expensive pasta. $25 for prosciutto, that's fine, okay. But that's what, that's what my wife told me. My wife said 500 and I listened, right? I'm, I'm not going to ask her to double check. I'm, I am focused, I know what she wants, and that's it. I'm not going to second guess her. I'm not going to second guess my wife. This is what she wants. And we're there, slicing, <laughs> slicing away, and I'm just like, man, it's been 10 minutes. What is going on? This is so much. And then she's finished and she hands me this football size pack of prosciutto. And I was like, okay. It's what my wife wanted, right? I know, it's all good. So I'm going, I put it in the pram, pushing back and I get to my wife and I'm like, you wanted 500 grams, right? And she goes, no, 50. like oh so good I got 10 times the amount that you wanted but yeah could have cost 250 but it cost $25 it's all right but the thing is was I wrong did I get what she wanted yes I was not wrong but I was also not correct and that's what these disciples were they understood he was, Je- they, he was Jesus. They understood he was king. But they just didn't get how that was going to come into play. How that was going to come into reality. Because when Jesus was in his glory, when he was crowned king, that was when he was on the cross. With the crown of thorns. With a sinner on his left and a sinner on his right. That's what the left and the right was. One that would reject him and one that would accept him. That is what 
his glory was. But the funny thing is, is that James and John, they actually got what they asked for. They got the cup, they got the baptism. James goes on to be the first apostle to be martyred for Christ. And John goes on to be exiled to the uh, island of Patmos, where he uh, worked in a rock quarry and, thank God, wrote the book of Revelation. So good. So they got what they wanted. They got the death. They got the suffering they asked for, for, for Jesus. So let's jump to uh, verse 42. And Jesus called them and said, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. See, the disciples just wanted to fight for their right, fight for their kingdom, right? Because that's, that's all that they've seen. Like the cultural climate of the time was for the past four centuries, five centuries, Alexander the Great had come through, conquered the entire Mediterranean by force and made one nation. And then that laid, laid, laid the foundation for the Roman Empire. And then at one point, the Jews did fight back and gain their independence, which is where we get the Maccabean history from. Didn't last very long, and the Romans brought them back. But then, that's when the Romans were started killing people on the cross. And when we think of the cross and dying on the cross, we think of the, the story of the Bible, where we have Jesus and the two sinners. But has anyone seen Monty Python's Life of Brian? funny but yeah you know the last there's a the scene right at the end there's probably like a hundred a hundred men lined up on the on crosses that is a far better image of what it looked like in the first century jesus grew up walking roads lined with crosses that was his daily visual his brothers, his countrymen dying on the cross left and right all the time. That's a far better image of what the cross was because the Romans came through and they only gained authority and power through force and violence. So that's what, that's what the Israelites knew. That's what the Jews knew. So they were like, well, if that's how you're going to gain power to create a kingdom, that's how we're going to gain power to create a kingdom, Right? And we do it all the time. We look to the world to try and understand how we do things, to how we gain influence, how we enact punishment, and even to explain the Bible, we look to the world. But God's saying no. Jesus is saying that's not how things are going to happen in the kingdom. We don't do that here. Kingdom influence is only given through servanthood. That's the only way. That's the only way. If you want to be great, you need to be a servant. If you want to be first, you must be a slave. It's not working harder. It's not being better. It's not doing more. It's being a servant. What Jesus is saying is if you want to be great, you need to give your life. You need to give your life for others. That's what he's saying. So Mark ten forty five. I love this verse. I feel like I love that Prashan used John 3.16 before because I, I was going to use it as an analogy, 
so fantastic. We're on the same page. It's like John 3.16 is like that one verse gospel, right? You just, that's, that's, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish and have eternal life. That's like a gospel in a sentence. This is the same thing. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the ransom. Jesus has had spoken and told them multiple times that he was going to die. This is now the fourth time that he was telling them that I'm going to die. But it was the first time that he said why he was going to die. This is the first time he said why. Because he was going to be a ransom for many. And it's kind of funny, like we think of these words, ransom for many, and like we don't really understand it. We probably just think of the movie Taken, whereas like if you're looking for a ransom, I don't have that. It's just, but I have a special set of skills and watch out. And we're like, mm, is that what Jesus is saying? He does have a special set of skills. Um, but the best way to understand ransom for many is in the original Greek. So we're going to go through it just real quick. Lutron anti polus. So that's ransom for many. Lutron it means to purchase one's freedom from slavery or being a prisoner. To purchase one's slavery from being a slave or being a prisoner, because that's what we are. A slave to sin and a prisoner of death. And then auntie. It's, so we translate this word auntie as for, but it's kind of funny because verse 45 starts with the word for, but that word we translate as for is gar. So right now we have two Greek words and we translate them to the same word. Learn Greek. It's, English is the worst. <laughs> but this word, auntie, it means instead of, in place of, or as a substitute. So what Jesus is saying here is like, my death is going to buy back your freedom. I'm purchasing your freedom from slavery, from being imprisoned instead of you, in place of you, as a substitute for what you deserve. This is what you deserve, but I will give my life as a ransom for many. That is the ransom. Tim Keller says, all life-changing love is substitutionary sacrifice. A sacrifice in place of another, right? That's what all life-changing love is. And as I said before, I'm, I'm a parent. Um, I have a son, 18 months old, and I love him so much. He's, I think he's amazing. I'll go, I can go on forever. I won't, don't worry. But I, he's amazing. Like, even while I was putting this message together, he was banging on the drums. He was going for it. He was singing his heart out. And I was like, half of him was like, oh, I'm trying to put the word of God together. I'm trying to like speak to these people, but you're just being so cute. I just love you. And in that moment of joy, I'm like, I'll do anything for you. I'll stop doing my work and I'll just look at you and it'd be great. But every parent has been through this. It's 3 a.m. And you hear the crying. And it gets louder and louder until you have a choice to make. You either are going to sacrifice your sleep for the needs of your child or you're going to sacrifice their needs to get more sleep. And 10 times out of 10, you will get up 
and you will go and see the needs of your child. And nine times out of ten, it will be the wife. <laughs> Anna's like, amen. I try. I, but she's already, anyway. That's it. But that is, that is substitutionary sacrifice. We didn't do it on the scale that Jesus did, but we do it when we have true love for another. But the ransom, as I said before, Jews were being uh, killed on the cross, left and right, all day, like for years. So this ransom doesn't rely on dying on a cross. It relies on who Jesus is. And the, and the start of verse 45, it tells us. It tells us exactly who Jesus is. And like this verse is so theologically full that I could be here for the next 20 minutes to help like unpacking this. But when Jesus says that he's the son of man, he's talking about Daniel 7. And he's saying, I am God. I am God. I'm the Alpha and Omega. The son of man came. I came from heaven to earth. I'm God. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. He then says not to be served because he's implying he deserves our service. He deserves to be served. He's saying he's king. He's saying he's the king. But he says, but I won't be served. I will serve. Because the Jews were waiting for the servant of the Lord, which you can find in Isaiah 52. They were waiting for a servant, which then goes on into Isaiah 53 and talks about a suffering servant, one that will be pierced for our transgressions, one that will die for our sins. And Jesus is saying here, you know that God, that king, that messianic king you're waiting for? That's me. And you know that suffering servant you're waiting for? That is also me. I am the king. I am God. I am the sacrifice. I am the ransom that you have been waiting for. And the thing is that every person alive in the first century, they understood the wrath of God. They understood justice. They understood debt and punishment. But not for one moment did they think that the God of heavens was going to be the one coming down to purchase our freedom. They didn't understand that it was going to be God coming down, dying as a substitutionary sacrifice for what we deserve. That is what Jesus is saying here. And it says in uh, Galatians 5.1, for freedom's sake, Christ died. Christ died for our freedom. He didn't, he didn't die for us to be a slave to something else, a slave to theology, a slave to doing what we need to be doing. He died for our freedom. And one of the final words Jesus said is to telestai, which is a Greek word that we translate as it is finished. But it was also a legal term that means that debt that you had is gone. That debt that you had has been paid for and you now get to walk in freedom. You now get to walk in the freedom that I bring. All you need to do is accept. In James 4.8, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And we sometimes think of God as some far off transcendent being that is just waiting for us to work our way towards Him. But He's not. He's in this room right now. He is filling this room right now, waiting for you to draw near to Him, waiting for you to accept, waiting for you to say, Jesus, be my ransom. You have paid the debt, so be my ransom. And I, I believe there's people in this place that either haven't, fu- haven't fully accepted Jesus or just haven't accepted this ransom. So if, if, if that's you, just with eyes closed, if you haven't or if you want to again, ask Jesus to be your ransom to pay your debt, to wipe your slate clean that you are allowed to walk in freedom. I pray that you just raise your hand right now. If you want to be walking in that freedom, if you have not truly met Jesus, just raise your hand so I know who we're praying with. And also I believe there's other people in this room that have accepted this ransom, but haven't actually stepped into the freedom that Jesus wants that the freedom that Jesus brings for you. So if that's you, I pray that you raise your hand. Lord, I just pray for all these people in the room. I pray that they, they know who you are, what you have done for them, that you, you have, you've become the ransom to wipe our slate clean. I pray that they just seek you and draw near to you. And I also pray that we are able to step into the freedom that your kingdom brings. I pray for every person in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.